Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So we are live now with our Facebook audience and our YouTube audience. And um, we've had quite a week. We've been preaching in uh, Colombia, South America this week in the middle of a conference with some friends. And we're doing it virtually from Nashville. It's amazing. But we're really excited about um, talking with a good friend of ours, Marcus Young. Marcus, I can't remember how many years we've known you now. It's been at least Oh, wow. Yeah, I would guess at least. And he happens to be uh, in Nashville. He's our neighbor um, and has a worldwide global ministry. I think most of the times we've seen you, it was either in Atlanta or in California. Yeah. Um, we're part of a, a same network of ministries called Harvest International Ministries. And uh, Marcus's ministry is called In Fire Ministries. And years ago, when Johnny and I were pastoring a church in Atlanta, um, we had Marcus come and speak, uh, I think at least once. And it was one of the more impacting um, sermons and opportunities that people had to learn about this this issue that is so um, talked about right now of human trafficking. And Johnny and I um, have been on a recent quest learning more about racial issues in our country. And now we're switching gears just a little bit and we want to we want to over the next several weeks and maybe even a couple of months hmm. invite different guests on to talk about the issue of human trafficking in our in our nation and in our generation and understand it more, understand um, from a reformer's perspective how we can partner with each other and with God to see this end in our lifetime. So um, we consider Marcus an expert in this area. And you can probably introduce yourself and your ministry much better than we can. I don't know, John, if you wanted to say anything before I hand it over to Marcus. Well, Marcus, it's just good to be able to connect with you via this means. And uh, I'm Absolutely. seeing these names coming up that hey, are saying hi I got you from Cuba. Um, good to see you. I hear from you. And uh, there's a friend of yours, Anthony Medina, is saying hi to you, Marcus. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> But no, this is obviously just a huge, huge, huge uh, topic, and it's a huge topic on the heart of God, the rescue of uh, children from sex trafficking, from, and there's a unique niche that you've particularly been uh, led to by the Lord from years ago, and yep. um, before it was the popular thing to go after, and it's not that it's a trendy thing to go after, it's just that it's become so... Uh, so much more widespread than we imagined in the millions of people um, that it affects and touches. But um, we we applaud you for having been on it ahead of even the curve. And um, now we know this is something God is really, 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 really uh, on God's heart right now. And things are being dealt with in all kinds of ways. But yeah, so just tell us more about what you're doing right now, Marcus, and everything. Sure. We always know that there's some things you can't tell, but we want you talking freely, sharing everything you can, and we want you to do most of the talking. So take over, Marcus. Okay, awesome. Well, you, you guys feel free to jump in and ask questions and direct as we go to. But let me just say, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in the missions world. Uh, my granddad was born in Myanmar, my great granddad. So all the way back to my uh Great granddad, I've, I've been involved in, in global mission, working a lot in IP areas, indigenous people groups, uh, which interestingly enough, indigenous peoples, because we've got the kind of the, the onslaught of modernization happening all across the world, indigenous peoples tend to be more trusting. You know, they, they kind of do things on what we say, handshake, though they might not shake hands. But because of that, they're very susceptible and, and so you'll find that a lot of human trafficking actually happens with the indigenous people. You know, these are the people that get exploited most. So I didn't know, you know, when I started working with indigenous people that they were at a higher risk level of trafficking, but they actually are, part of it is they don't have education too, right? They don't understand the outside world. You know, somebody asked them to sign a piece of paper or things like that, they don't know what they're getting into. And in, in their context, you know, they, they move out of relationships. 
and and so they move into a modern space and and people just take advantage of them so when you when you uh look all the way across the world you're going to find that often it's these more indigenous people who have been kind of on the fringes of, of modern society and then started to move into it that have been targeted often so that's one place that we'll see a lot of human trafficking now my, my generational history has really impacted the way i look at things so i look at things from a, a longer term perspective and that's one of the things that got me involved in working with kids you know because when we looked at because we're trying to have a reformer's perspective right we're trying to look at you know how do we change society here so when we look at how cultures are built cultures are actually built through the undercurrent the river of values right and values get set in place with children so so if you want to change a culture you really have to work with kids so when you're looking at the big picture so like I remember as a young missionary, there was a guy, he was also a multi-generational missionary about 15 years my senior. And he and they actually they were prophesied over by Paul King years ago that they'd see like a million and a half soul harvest in the area that they've worked in. And they, they actually have <clears throat> and uh so real authentic, you know, people in, in the field. And he used to tell me, Marcus, you can see a tribal group come to the Lord in in a day or in a generation, but he said it takes three to four generations for them to see revival. I used to get really upset when he said that because I, mean, I was a young missionary and I'm like, I don't have three or four generations. You know, what are you talking about? But what he was trying to help me understand is how there's a process of culture actually getting shifted and changed. And and there's actually patterns that we can even study in scripture that that. Um, I don't know if you guys have read this really fascinating book called The Fourth Turning. It would be the kind of book that Johnny would would read. Um, they actually predicted a lot of the things. It's called The Fourth Turning. It's written by a couple of sociologists, uh, but they actually predicted a lot of the things that are happening now in in our world. Um, yeah, I read it in like 2016 and thought, man, I don't like this. <laughs> but they study generations and they study how generations move in, in patterns of four cycles of four. And, and so you can see that like in the biblical context, you have like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, for example, you know, you have Obed, uh, Boaz, uh, Jesse, David, that would be fourth. And iniquities are passed down to the third and fourth generations. Scripture talks about, but then you move into the uh, fifth generation and there's something really special that happens if you steward something generationally. And so then you see people like Solomon emerge and, and so it's it's a really so there's a natural process and there's a spiritual process. So Genesis 18, 19 is one of my favorites uh, scriptures where it says God says, I've chosen Abraham because he's going to disciple his entire household or train them up in righteousness and justice, which are the you know why we even care about human traffic on one level is because of those things so that I can fulfill what I have promised him. So God wanted to set in. A promise into a family line that would disciple and train and something in a generational thing so God could birth something so so recognizing that pattern then too you know that's one thing that's put me in a focus on on kids just seeing them you know as highly strategic and then being in these kinds of spaces watching the things that have happened so so for me one of my first kind of encounters with child soldiers which is one of the 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 kind of uh, human trafficking spaces we work in. So there's three core human trafficking spaces, right? We've got uh, forced uh, forced labor, forced sex, and then forced soldiering. Those are kind of the three spaces. Um, and I had a Macedonian call. It was in 97, actually. And I sent a guy up into a restricted access area uh, controlled by a big drug cartel army. And I told him, I had, he had a you know one of those kind of bigger camcorders and I said you know capture what you can because it was hard for me to even get in there and I said find what you can uh, but I said find us the hardest darkest most miserable spot I said that's where I want us to start and and so he came back with this footage of child soldiers I didn't know what a child soldier was so I'm looking at these kids half dressed in fatigues and snotty noses I'm like what what are these kids? Why are they dressed up like this? And he started to tell me the story. Go ahead. What ages are you talking about? 
these kids were ranging between like six to 14 years old. Whoa. And, and we've actually documented in this particular area several times, we've documented as young as three. Now a three-year-old's not carrying a gun. They're usually doing like go for work or something for a cook, but they're living in military barracks. And, and what had happened with a lot of these kids is there had been a big war and the army was just had a lot of orphans. So they were just bringing them into the army and training them in the military. And when I saw that, it, I, my heart just got broke. It was kind of like this Nehemiah moment where, you know, he hears that the, the walls have been broken down of, of Jerusalem. And, and he hears the word and he just begins to weep and he can't stop weeping. And that's exactly what happened to me, guys. I mean, it's, it still just impacts my heart to this day because I, I couldn't do anything but cry. <laughs> it's just a mess. And I kept telling my friends, hey, we got to do something. And they all told me, you're crazy. And I'm like, probably, but <laughs> you know, we got to do something. And, and when I saw that, though, and I began to, I began to cry because the Lord spoke to me. He said, the enemy of your souls, speaking of Satan, has, has been raising up an army under the nose of the church. Like the church isn't even seeing that this is happening. And I saw this generational pattern of kids being raised in conflict. And then being, you know, raising their own kids in conflict because, you know, this anger and pain and all these things were set in their hearts. They didn't have a heart of peace. And and so that it was like destroying whole nations through doing this. And so I saw this. And at the same time, God said this. He said that I have desired them as my army of love. And and it just broke me. And I wept and I wept and I. So I didn't know it was a Macedonian call at the time. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I just knew I had to do something. And in prayer, God gave us a blueprint. And I won't tell you the whole story exactly, except I'll just tell you there was eight years of failure <laughs> before we started to see some supernatural breakthroughs. And and for us, you know, I, I basically quit. You know, I was like, it's not going to happen. You know, this won't work. And it was at that point, then we started to see breakthroughs. And I'm gonna bring us to another really important scriptural point, you guys, because I think part of what I can bring to this conversation is some theological understanding, because I'm a student of the scriptures and trying to understand how to take the scriptural understanding of these things and help all of our justice workers out there have a theological grid, a strategy, a biblical strategy for moving forward. So awesome. one of the things that's really uh, help, helped me and I saw this so clearly when, when we started to see our breakthroughs is Jesus is driven out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, right? And and in that temptation, there's three temptations he faces. He His first temptation is with bread. His second temptation is with the temple. And his third temptation is with the crown. And and these are three, these are three tools of the powers, of the spiritual powers that are used. You know, we could we could fit them into, you know, the seven mountains kind of thing. But they're really tools that get used and you see them over and over again. And and the first one is an economics is economics. And these are neutral tools. Right. We can use them in the kingdom or they could be used by the enemy. But they really do. They're like seats of influence. Right. And 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 so with economics is, you know, Jesus is, of course, being tempted about bread. And, and then the temple is religion. Right. And then the crown is politics. And in each three of these, you know, at the launch of his ministry, and I believe this is how when Jesus was tempted in these things and confronted by the devil, he actually stepped out and then taught the Beatitudes afterwards in response. Like he got, he got a re revelation encounter by going into the enemy's camp. And then he laid his manifesto out in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we can see all of these uh, things that, that basically help us paradigm shift, but they're counterintuitives, right? They're paradoxes of the scripture. And, and that's how we do warfare in the spiritual realm. So like that's a place that Jesus teaches about loving your enemies, for example, which is a, a space we've leveraged a lot in the, kind of, in, in the kind of regions we work in. But here's the interesting thing. So bread or the economics is forced, forced labor. The religious space is forced sex. Mm -hmm. And I can explain that a little bit more if you want me to. And then the political space is forced soldiering. So basically, 
human trafficking fits under these three spiritual categories, these, these three spiritual powers and influences. And I've seen this over and over again. So like in our space, I recognize all the time, I have to understand how to work against the political spirit. And there's, you know, there's different ways that, that I've learned to do that. But one is you can't be power hungry, right? You can't be territorial. Uh, you actually raise up fathers and mothers because you can trust a, a politician who's got the heart of a father or heart of a mother. So, you know, you're disempowering that, that, that need for power. And, and that's what, you know, in the political realm, a lot of people don't understand when they sit in a seat of power, they're under the influence immediately. Like, you know, if there's any root of hunger for power in them, if there's any greed for power, immediately they go under the influence, even if they're good people. Makes sense. And, and, and this is another point, you guys, is like, we're all slaves. We're talking about human trafficking. We're all slaves. You know, we're either serve uh, Satan or we're going to serve God. And and we have a choice. We can say who we're going to serve. But other than that, other than, you ready to sing? That's who you it may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you're you're like a, you have free will. You have the choice. But then then you step in a stream. And once you're in the stream, it's taking you somewhere. And so, we, we human traffic. We're all we're all trafficked. We're all trafficked by sin. We're all trafficked by death. It's one of the reasons why human trafficking is such an important issue because it's a it's a manifestation of where we all live spiritually. Wow. Now let me just jump Go in, Marcus, because curious with the connection of the four sects with religion. Yeah, that's an important one. I, I, I want to hear how that, how that, how, how sure. that. Yeah. Thanks for reeling me back on that. So, yeah. Um, okay. So here's foundationally religion is about intimacy. So it's, it's not about, again, we're talking about things a little different than we've been talking just about the seven mountains, though it, it those, there are crossovers there, but religion is, is about intimacy. And so what happens is, is you can find this like with Buddhist monks, you'll see it all the time. We know it with Catholic priests, but you'll see it with the missions community too. I, you, you guys are involved in the missions community. You've got history there, Jonathan or Johnny. I, I think, um, I don't know if you've seen, but I've done research on all the MKs, the missionary kids who have um, been on the field. And there's so many of them who have been sexually abused by other missionaries. Wow. So mm -hmm. the, the reason why is, is that people will go out to the field and they get squeezed by being in a different culture. You know, they, they go through all these pressures. And if they're serving God out of duty instead of intimacy, it's going to force them into false intimacy. Wow. And and so it actually helps us explain why you have so many problems, especially on a leadership level in the church with people falling into sexual sin, because if you don't have true roots of intimacy in your heart with God, it you know, you'll get you will have to find false intimacy. It'll you're forced. You're a slave. Again, you're gonna serve one master or the other, and so you've gotta you've gotta be in the right position. So so it actually, so when you understand the intimacy side of things, then you understand why sex trafficking falls under that. And, and, and again, maybe why it's, you know, out of all the different issues, sometimes it catches the heart of the church so much because it, it has a reflection with our own intimacy with God. And, and so I think that may be one of the reasons why it captures so many people in the church when we, when we think about the, the violations that happen with sex trafficking. But again, it's it it becomes even more important than for people who are working in that anti-sex trafficking space to really have an intimate relationship with God, to be rooted in that. Because if they aren't, they'll they're targets. You know, they will they will either become predators or they will they will be eaten themselves. And so uh, and, go ahead. On, on that mark, let's just jump in here is you know, one of the, in our seven mountain mm -hmm. um, framework that we put out there, one of the yeah. things 
I, I have shared. Of course, we identify principality over each one of the mountains. Mm -hmm. We get Jezebel, and I say she's arts and arts entertainment principality. And there's yeah. people surprised. I thought Jezebel's in the church. Why is Jezebel so much in the church? Yeah. And even what I've said to that, and it, and it at least is parallel to what you're saying, mm -hmm. is I said the deal is, you know, when you put on a show, when when you're trained, because a lot of ministries, you know, ends up being, yeah, it, it's, it's, some of it, it's not as surreptitiously sourced as it seems, but mm -hmm. end up so easily for so many, it's about putting on a show, and when and you can put on a worship show. And, you know, you rehearse something and you do it. And it's all of a sudden not firsthand, authentic, real. Or a liturgical show. Or a liturgical. That yeah. when, that what happens, I said, there's, I, way I shared, I said, many people are not even in the church when mm -hmm. they think they are because all they're doing is acting. And so yeah. they're actually on Jezebel's mountain, but have zero idea that she's the principality there. Yeah. And so I said, the ministries that do this the most mm -hmm. are ones that you will find more uh, taken advantage of this by this Jezebel uh, spirit, of course. Which can manifest in a mm -hmm. sexual perversion. It's, yeah. And I do know about the missionary things. Uh, yeah. Probably have more uh, stories. Wasn't that the story even with, uh, was it William P. Young, uh, the shack? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, his, his, yeah. own, his own story. story. Yeah. But there is, you know, it's intimacy, which is slash trust. Mm -hmm. Is what you're supposed to be, um, you know, the assumptions there on the mountain of religion care. So I, I'm understanding yeah, uh, what you're really saying profound. there, that connection, how that yeah that works. You uh, can you can talk about it even uh, in terms of like uh, very general uh, ideas of like um, like we say person, place, and things, right? So things would be the economics, persons would be the the religious space. Uh, places would be the political realm territories. So again, like it's said, so there, there are crossovers to the seven mountains, but it is a different kind of scenario. What I'm talking about exactly, um, even though some of the language is the same, and like there's a lot of things we can say when we look at it. Say, yeah, the religious mountain and what I'm talking about definitely aligns. But this plays across all spheres, and when you look at the three things that brought Jesus to the cross. You, you have three times, like you have when, when um, he, he multiplied bread and people try to make him king. You have when he has the triumphal entry into the temple, right? The religious space. And then you, you have his final moments when he goes to the cross and he gets uh, challenged by the actual political uh, leaders of, of the day. And you can look at it from um, each time, he, that time he could have called angels, right? Like he could have used his political power each time he chose not to be king because he chose to be a different kind of king. But yeah. you see how those three, those three uh, times he was tempted and you see how three times they tried to move him into kingship and he said no. And, and you see uh, uh, Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. You know, you see the betrayals by the religious community. You see betrayals by the, the political community. So uh, it, it's something that's at work in our world constantly. And it's just helpful for us to understand in the human trafficking space that these three things are, are constantly in play and having an understanding of how these, these powers are at work really helps us then align and have a really good strategy to say, how am I going to stay safe and what kind of people am I going to build? Because an, an apostolic thing is to understand how to build, right? You need to know how to build. And so you can look at the spiritual power and say, okay, here's how I need to build so that we can take this thing out. <laughs> then, you know, then you're, you're planting in the right kind of structures. And, and so it, I found over the years, it's really strategic. I had this moment, um, I think it was, I think it was about 2005. I was in Thailand. I had this dream that the Pope, Pope died of pneumonia. And so I, I woke up and I felt like I had pneumonia. It was awful. So I went over to the computer um, and I got on the internet and started checking the news and it says Pope goes in the hospital uh, you know, with pneumonia. So I thought, wow, that's crazy, God. You know, what are you telling me? You know, and I felt like God said that when the Pope died, we would see a breakthrough like 
because we were negotiating for the release of child soldiers at that point. And there was about a hundred kids we were supposed to get. And, and some different government people, military people were, were blockading this process. Actually, there, we were in one country and there was another country blockading us from getting these kids because it was attached to the church. And it was this complex political situation. So God said to me, when the Pope dies, you're going to, you're going to see something shift. There's going to be a breakthrough. So I thought, okay, that's cool. And I was sick for two weeks. I mean, I traveled across Thailand, Cambodia, et cetera. It was awful. But about three days later, the news comes out and says, hey, the Pope's fine. It was just a, it was just kind of a, a false alarm. And I thought, man, I must have missed God. And then two weeks later, the Pope dies. And the moment he died, this there, no joke, there's this political leader who is keeping us from getting these kids who died at the same moment. And and everything shifted for us. I mean, that's, I've, I've seen it a number of times, but but this is like, because what God told me about the Pope, he said, this will this will represent a political and religious spirit that you need to break through on. So, wow, Marcus, th that's quite insightful. So let's go to like really being there. You said yeah. for eight years you did nothing but fail. So yeah. I think it means you were there where you knew yeah. the child soldiers were, and you yeah. were trying to, and you were doing all the practical things you Absolutely. knew to do, and. What did you discover was the like the key to step out of that eight year frustration period? What was the key that where you begin to have some success? Was there one? Well, I, I think there was a couple things. So one is we worked with kids at risk during that whole time. You know, we did church planting, Bible translation work, all sorts of stuff. So it wasn't like a failure of life. It was just a failure of like my key goal, which was rescue some of these kids. So, so I think part of it was. I just had to know it was God and not me, right? I mean, you, you kind of have to come to the end of yourself. And part of it is I'm a pioneer. So any anybody who pioneers has to plow ground. You got to put in a deep plow. And and a lot of people come in behind a pioneer and they, they walk in all sorts of blessings and breakthroughs that a pioneer never sees, you know? So, and that's okay, you know? But for me, I had to plow ground. And plowing ground is holding faith over something and and keeping keeping a focus and being obedient in the day day to day. Like I said, I pretty much gave up. Started to see these shifts, and during these shifts, I just had to. It was more like watching a movie, on some level, and being obedient to when God said say yes or say no to just say yes or say no on the on the big picture. But I think there was also some really important things, uh, Johnny, uh, to your question and my own heart getting shifted. And, you know, because one of the journeys I went on over the years, too, that I watched really shift our ministry to the next level was learning how to love a lot of these perpetrators. And this was not exactly an easy journey. <laughs> you know, you watch people do really bad things and it's hard to, to love them. And, and there was a particular guy who, who came into our home homes and he actually at one point. Well, he stole he stole a couple projects from us that were a million plus um, in value that were all focused on on taking care of kids, and that was really hard because that was like something we had built into for ten years, and then on top of it, he came in and, and took a bunch of kids out of our home, and and the Lord had told me at the beginning when this all began to come out, even before it happened, He warned me like the day before twice one through a prophetic guy calling me up and and one through just this encounter when i was reading this sci-fi fantasy book where the holy spirit landed on me and i didn't know what was going on i thought am i sick what's going on and then i realized the holy spirit was talking to me but he what he needed to do is he needed to teach me how to pray for my enemies and love them and when god gave me the assignment to pray for this guy i really thought it was about god changing him but about two years later, I realized I needed my own heart changed. And, and what happens is there's an authority shift that, that happens. When we get our hearts aligned to God's heart, then it opens up doors for us to start 
walking with all these other people. I like I met with a, a gal one time. This was over in in, in the Philippines, and she's a head of a, a, a communist rebel group. And I asked her. I said, "Can I get a couple churches to pray for you?" And she said, "No, the church hates me." And and that was like a knife in my heart, you guys. I was like, "Why do we have a reputation of hating these people? You know, what's wrong with us?" And I was like, "I'm really sorry, but you know, would it be okay?" And she's, you know, and you know, we kind of went back and forth. And she's like, "You know, I don't believe in God. My my God is the masses." Uh, and finally, she finally is like, "Okay, you can get some people to pray for me," but she's like, "It would take a miracle, and I don't believe in miracles." <laughs> and you know, when she started up, up, up and tell me about her story, she's a mom, she's 50 plus, she's got two kids and she's running all over the hills, avoiding the army and, and her kids hardly ever see her. And she's like, I just want my kids to understand that I'm serving her, our country. I want them to understand my heart, what I do. I'm like, I've heard a lot of missionary parents say the same thing. You know, I just want my kids to understand why I'm making the sacrifices, you know? And we got a strategy from that of, act, of actually serving some of the, the kids of some of these commanders. We did one project that was so amazing because these two young kids in this Muslim area that we got, their their their, their parents were like military leaders. And we, we put them with a pastor and his wife. And less than a year, like, for example, the, the kids would come home for visits. And this boy was doing things like washing clothes, watering the garden, all the women's work. And his dad got so ashamed at seeing all the different shifts that were happening in his own heart. He said, I'm laying down my weapons. You know, I'll still be a leader, but I'm laying down my weapons. And it was all through just serving some of their kids. So again, it's, it's what are we doing? We're targeting a political spirit, but we're saying, how do you target the political spirit through the heart of a father and mother? Well, how do you do that? You serve their kids, see? So it's just this, this you know, and out of serving two kids, you, you access an entire community. So... For me, you know, first is my own heart has to change. You know, I, I need to be willing to love these people, to see them in the eyes of the cross, which is Jesus died for enemies. And so, like, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of evil person you're bringing to the measuring stick of the cross, Jesus forgave them. And so I have to move from the forgiveness of Jesus first. That doesn't mean I'm saying that they've done the right thing or that they're not doing evil things, but I have to move out of that heart and let that transform me because it's, you know, God chose David as a man after his own heart. Why? So that he could have a spirit of spiritual authority to, to build something. And so this is really critical, this heart. Having the right kind of heart is, and I'm not, I'm not talking about just like doing the right things, following a set of rules. I'm like letting God do surgery here, you know, and really, change something in a significant way, which for me was like that paradox of as I learned to love my enemies and, and have something shift inside of me, I'm encountering God, you know, through my enemies. And, and that's another thing I could go in on, you know, like some of the most important revelation I ever got was through my enemies, through, you know, listening to these, you know, we can tell the story of, um, of Gideon in the, in, in the, um, camp of his enemies here in the dream, right? And God had to send him to the enemy's camp. So the church has all these treasures, <laughs> like where we don't want to go. <laughs> you know, I want to skip into that for a second. Um, what you're saying is just so profound because, you know, maybe people are tuning in and listening because they care about this issue. It's an issue of injustice and we're waking up to how serious of an issue it is. And like everything, we want quick fixes and we're focused on the goal, which you're saying you were focused on, which is to rescue the children, rescue the ones that are enslaved. Yeah. And, and yet you discovered in the process that God is all about the process and he's, he's doing things on multiple levels all the time. Yeah. And, and he's going after um, things in our hearts yeah not just the end result in sure. in reality if if we believe that there's a god and that he's powerful he could actually take care of this issue without us absolutely but he hasn't so so there's a process involved and there's revelation and, and understanding 
to be had. And it's, it's never at, you know, someone's expense. There's, there's mystery in that part of it because you know that he cares about every single moment that any one of his sons and daughters are, um, you know, wrongly treated, victimized, all the things sure. that, that are traumatic that these kids go through. But tell us about your, your book and tell us about um, kind of what, what was on the other side of that once you broke through in that area personally? Yeah. So, okay. So the book is love your enemy and it's a, it's a 30 day guide. Uh, so just, I, I realized, you know, like this journey took me years, right. Uh, and I'm still unpacking every, every day, you know, it's like new understanding. It's, it's just a fun journey at this point, even though it's also scary. Sometimes it's, it's not always easy to love people you don't want to love, but um, I realized it, it it took me a while. So I tried to break it down into some bite-sized pieces for people so that I could kind of give them a head start okay. out of all the years of struggle I went through to learn this process to just kind of step them through. So by the end of that time, it'd be a whole lot easier for them to to use this. And 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 to me, you guys, these, I mean, whether we're talking about this on racism. Or whether we're talking about using this as a tool, like if, if you're going to go work with sex trafficking victims and you don't have a heart for the perpetrators, mm-hmm. you're on the wrong foot. But it's such an interesting, counterintuitive, not what you would think, yeah. uh, uh, preparatory statement for people going there. Because yeah. you think you have to be someone that really is disgusted and angry with them and borderline ready to yeah. kill them in order to be effective and yeah you're saying the opposite which is what jesus said (laughs) you know that's it's a tough challenge i I would just say like i get in trouble when i get angry too much like i i fall into sin god can be angry and not sin like he can keep his love on all the time like danny silk says keep your love on right i'm like if if i'm not doing this my you know my love is turning off like if I'm angry all the time at the perpetrators, my love shuts off. I can a guy like me who's a radical, you know, go after injustice kind of stuff. I can get mad at the church too, and you know, angry at the church for not doing more. And again, if my love's not on, that's not doing any good. So I found that you know, keeping that love on does a whole lot more. <laughs> and and things like this, this love your enemy, which you guys can find on Amazon, uh, love your enemy, Marcus Young is is a really powerful way to keep me focused it's keep my heart aligned and if my heart's aligned it, it's like you you said god's the one doing stuff right you know but my heart can be in the way of what he's doing yeah and and he wants me to show up and i've said lots of times you guys hey there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter a lot better than i am but i showed up <laughs> i was there you weren't <laughs> and so therefore i saw the breakthrough you know and, and that should be an encouragement to all of us because you might be sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, Marcus you know, knows all this stuff, done all these things, has all this history. And I'm like, you guys, I've, I've been around, you guys have been around a, a lot. I mean, you've met a lot of amazing people. You've, I don't know if you've had similar thoughts, but I look at some of those people and say, wow, you guys are incredible, but it, you know, being incredible isn't gonna get the job done. It's showing up, being, being willing to go to those hard places and, and partnering with the Holy Spirit, that's what's going to get the job done. And having my heart in the right place so that I'm not quenching the Holy Spirit and allowing his strategies to move in place. So this this whole thing of anger is, is like, it's okay for us to get angry. You know, I'm, I'm not telling people don't be angry, be angry because injustice is a, is a bad thing. But, you know, it, it's just like with my kids, I can get angry because they did something really stupid but I have to get over it and figure out how to love them. I can get angry at a perpetrator of injustice, but I can't wear it like a chip on my shoulder because that's going to disable me. You know, it's going to put me off kilter and I'm never going to be straight and true in how I'm seeing the situation and able to, to build a real strategy from God. So these counterintuitives are the way I believe that we attack the enemy's kingdom. And, and what's beautiful about it is it forces me into a spiritual encounter. Like 
I can't love an enemy outside of the Holy Spirit. So if I'm stepping forward to love an enemy, I have to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's Mm -hmm. the thing I I love about these kinds of things is they actually force me to experience God. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, in the charismatic space, we think about, you know, showing up at a church meeting and, you know, worshiping or having hands laid on us. But in the trenches, one of the ways we encounter the Holy Spirit is moving into a counterintuitive, moving into a paradox. And we can encounter the Holy Spirit through that. And we need that because that's how we start to shift the enemies back. This is huge what you're saying, really for anyone who wants to partner with God and seeing change to any area of culture Mm. or even just get through all that's being exposed right now in the nation. There's so many opportunities to see the main enemy in other people and as enemies. And and we can, without even knowing it, start harboring um, anything but love towards them because we we so relate to the the injustice part of it. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that that when you do that, you're having encounters with the Lord, and that's where when your heart is aligned with His heart towards mm-hmm. both the victim and the victim, that's yep. when you're able to receive His strategies and Absolutely. see results. Yep. What kind of results are you seeing? Well. I, I think, you know, again, like I, I work in really hard places, but like I'm trying to just narrow it down to a quick, easy story. But like this is there's a, an indigenous group we, we work with uh, real remote area. Like you can you can ride a, a motorcycle um, where they put you. They have like these. I don't know if you've have you seen those boats with those outriggers where they have like these ballasts that kind of balance the boat. They have these on motorcycles. I don't know if you've ever seen that and they pack them full of stuff and then they put you on top of them and you're going up and down, you know, through the jungles and they call them the sky train because you feel like you're riding in the air. Pretty uh, scary. So you can do that for a couple of days or you can helicopter in. It's, oh. it's a pretty remote space. Um, but th- these, these tribes have revenge killings and mm-hmm. we started working in the area because uh, uh, there's rebel groups who come in and they send teachers into this particular area and indoctrinate the kids. So they'll get like a, a college student and that will come in and they'll indoctrinate the kids and get them in the army. So we set up a school and then when the the rebels come in, they say, hey, we've already got a school, we've already got teachers, etc." So that's one of the first things that we would do. But we started teaching this love your enemy message. And, and so some of our school teachers sat down with the the elders and they've actually become really strong leaders learn how to navigate you know the the, all the conflicts of the different tribes and and the the government politics it's so it's so fun to watch these people emerge say that again these are locals in the nation that you're in yeah these are these are local tribal people like this one teacher he he would get so skinny because he'd give all his food away to the students you know and i'd tell him man you need to eat more but he was so passionate about making sure his kids had enough to eat so that they could study. Those are the kind of people that, you know, you see something like that, you're like, man, they're a gem, you know, and you're so into them. But so we had taught them about loving their enemies. So they went to the tribal council because there was uh, a revenge killing. So one of these other tribes came in just randomly and macheted somebody down on a path. And and normally when that happens, this, this tribe will go back to that tribe and they'll do a revenge killing. And it just goes back and forth and escalates into war and they're like jesus taught us to do something different so let's let's try that so they they said we're not going to take revenge seven times this other this other group just came in and killed somebody from the village and each time they'd get together and they'd be furious and they'd argue it out and they finally say we're going to trust the words of jesus so at the end of this time then it just everything got silence and they finally started to check and see what had happened meanwhile their village is growing and prospering and all these people are starting to move into their area but this other place had about 140 households and it was down to seven households like it had been attacked by rebel groups and outside groups and they had gone down to like seven families so i was like wow you know there's a, there's a remnant left you you guys need to go in before it's too late and have mercy on these guys and share the love of jesus with them but the whole tribe looked at it and thought, oh, my goodness, this love your enemy message really works, you know. And and I think that, you know, I'm going to just step back just briefly and say, too, 
when we think about human trafficking, we often just think about the kids. But problems in societies are systemic. Like, like you can look at the human trafficking, sex trafficking problem in, in a place like Bangkok. And there's tons of really amazing uh, ministries that are serving these girls, doing a great job, but the supply and demand isn't changing. And, and so you, there's different ways you can attack the supply channels. Like there's, there's ministries who will go and they'll target, the, try to hit the kids right as they're in that moment of susceptibility. So they find the places where they're most trafficked, like where they're, they're maybe moving through and they try to hit the pipeline. Uh, there's groups like IJM who come in and they go after like changing laws in a nation. I think in a lot of these nations, a smarter way when you're looking looking at like a more of a Middle Eastern or Asian perspective, I, I think Johnny you could talk to a, a Latin America perspective, but you really have to, in my opinion, go after these power people not by treating them like enemies, but by finding ways like a Daniel or a Joseph to align with them. So, because in in a place like Asia, if you go after these powerful people they're not going to end up in jail. <laughs> they've got money. They've got status. You're not going to shift it that way. But if you can be a prophetic voice into their lives, you know, if, if you can be skillful enough and place yourself in a position where you can incrementally shift them and help them start to think about things from a different perspective, you can really start to shift things at a top level. And I'm, I'm just touching a few kind of ideas, but I'm just saying as we're looking at these kinds of things, understand that if you want to be a reformer, you've got to move out of a bigger picture. You know, it's not just about rescue the one. It's about look at the What's, real problem. Yeah. And say, what do we need to do? Yeah, really, really so much yeah. wisdom and in, in, from your experience. It's, it's really powerful, um, Marcus. And, you know, we've just 47 minutes. We just started. We just scratching the issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, I did want to say before we before we end, though, I think I don't know if you've heard this. I can't remember what's the name of the city in Thailand that's specifically just famous for it's it's sex trafficking. And they're just, they, you know, Patia like, oh. is the world yeah. famous one. Yeah, it's it's been closed down. The sex trafficking has been closed down this year. Mm. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and and um, and there is I believe there are a lot of. You know, there's a lot of networks that from the top are being shut down mm -hmm. this year that we're going to find out about. It's going to be interesting for me to hear your report once you're back out there. Yeah. Obviously, the whole uh, COVID dynamics have, have shut down operations as, as normal. But I do believe there's a, a major help from heaven coming through some mm -hmm. intense, intense targeting of yeah. the networks from the demand end of things. Yeah. And, and um and that's that's a big a big part of it. So I think there's going to be a great accelerating towards um towards bringing yeah, reformation, yeah. practical rescuing and, yeah. and I, I that would, you know, probably have to an hour for every direction of okay, once you rescue them, what do you do? And that would be just another hour probably at least. Yeah. And then, you know, what do you do with fam? How do you reconnect? What do you do? What do you do about the guy who is you're trying to love your enemy, but he did do it. And yeah. and yeah. justice matters. There's unending aspects of it. But I'd love to have you back on to get into some of that. I mean, I, I think it'd be really good for people to hear. I want to just of, challenge yeah. our listeners with three things. Um, clearly, this is something that we're going to give account to before the Lord one day as a generation and as individuals who've woken to this, to this, um, this issue, it's hard to call it an issue because it's like, it's so much bigger than just an issue, but I don't know what, how to refer to it. This societal thing that, that we're discovering. Mm. And, and I think it starts by researching and understanding, just seeing an occasional something pop up on the news or pop up, mostly just on the internet, whether social media or whatever, a, a random statistic or a random short story about someone that was rescued. Hmm. I feel like we have an accountability to, to for ourselves, hmm. learn about it. So go into uh, 
you know, Marcus's website, whatever, wherever you can learn about, we'll, we'll have other speakers too, but make an effort to learn and grow personally and educate yourself so that when the Holy Spirit wants to start speaking to you, whether you're going to partner with him financially or partner with him in prayer or, um, you know, there's limitless ways God can have each of us respond to this crisis. That's the word I want to use, this crisis in the globe right now. Um, so that's one thing, research. And number two, I think that people need to get your book. I mean, and go through this 30 days with Marcus. Go on this journey that he went on with the Lord where God shifted and changed his heart so that he could partner with God in the ways that he does. And your partnership, again, might look different than, than Marcus's partnership with the Lord. But there's something that all of us have to respond with. There's something for each of us to respond that's personal between us and the Lord. And then the third thing is um, I was going to say to partner financially with someone like Marcus and in fire ministries, you know, our, our hearts follow where we put our, our money, our treasure, our investment. And that's another way to really connect um, yourself to this crisis in the world is very practically ask God where you're supposed to invest financially and where it's going to, going to be soil that is good soil. And I will tell you, Johnny will tell you, Marcus and whatever he's doing is good soil. He is, he is worth trusting and worth investing in. The people that he is working with are people that are boots on the ground generationally. Maybe you could tell them um, any website and where they can donate and what are the kind of things that a donation would help help accomplish? Yeah, well, so we um, in in fire uh, in dash fire.org is the easiest way to get to our direct website. Uh, we've been raising money recently for uh, rice patty for one of the uh, safe homes that we have for kids. And, you know, we're we're really focused. We have been forever on creating local sustainability. We're uh, part of the reason why is we're trying to support leaders to not be under us, but to be able to follow the call, follow the call of God on their own lives. So we feel like that expresses kingdom way better than, you know, trying to create this big organization and everybody is dependent on us all the time. So, you know, this, this is a food issue, uh, but it basically creates a, a, a sustained home, like where, where we can kind of step in at strategic moments instead of constantly them being dependent on us. So what that's, you know, homes? go what ahead. Homes that you're talking about. Uh, well, like this particular home is is a safe home where there's there's children that were um, hiding from military conscription, as well as uh, some some kids that we that are at risk that we thought were strategic for for um, a number of reasons, including the gospel's sake. Um, there's you know we've got we've got lots of homes scattered around the world, and, and including we've got some really amazing soccer programs in. Uh, places like Mexico attached to a semi-pro team that work in in very uh, you know tough cartel type situations. Like we have one program we set up last year where the kids would show up and lay their guns on the side of the field before they went to play soccer. I, I just love that you know that we get to work in those kinds of spaces. So you know in dash fire dot org you can you can find ways to run with us there. I also um, I just messaged you guys, but Marcus J Young dot co forward slash blog uh, is a good place. If you just want to follow my thinking, I, I kind of go over the map. So like recently I, we've been putting out a lot more about the NGO space, helping people wrestle through things like why you put kids in homes, like children's homes or why, why you wouldn't. Cause there's good, you know, arguments on both sides. Uh, but some very practical things as well as I, I'll wrestle through issues like, you know, how sin bears fruit generationally and then creates the kinds of situations we're in now. So trying to look at the big systemic issues as well. So, I'll, but if you're interested in kind of learning about the the reformation space and specifically things related to kids in at risk, child soldiers, then it's a great place for resource as well. Um, obviously the, the book is, is available on Amazon. Um, Project AK-47 is our campaign focused specifically on kids in armed conflict. 
So World Wide Web uh, Project AK47.com. It's got some great information, and a lot of people probably stateside know us better by that than anything else. Uh, there's, we, you know, because a lot of work we do, we're we're kind of under the radar. So there's a lot of like, it's kind of like the the commander I was telling you about. He said the church hated her. She she changed her name everywhere she went. You know, I, I kind of like that too. We've got all these different names, partially just because we're trying to protect a lot of amazing people we work with. So, wow, yeah. And that's very understandable. Incredible. Well, this has been amazing. Can you finish by just telling us about one of the kids who's impacted you personally? Obviously, you wouldn't say their name, but does any, yeah. any of them jump out as a something you can leave us with? Well, um, some of my favorite stories, um, there's a there's a gal that um, we, we rescued. This, this wasn't a she wasn't a child soldier. She was a, a trafficking victim. She was, her mom had a drug issue, uh, sold her for about the equivalent of 10 US dollars. It was 300 Thai baht to a Chinese business guy up the street. And we heard about it and came in and basically took her and gave the, the guy his, his $10. And she was just so devastated by that. Her dad was already in prison for drug issues and she came and lived with us for about three years, actually longer. She was with us for about 10 years, 10 years. And one day she was 17 and she prayed for several days and said, I want to share my story. So we, we sat down, actually put it on video. Um, but she's sharing her story and telling how it felt to be sold. And she just broke down crying in my arms and and sam the apostolic guy that i've worked with for years over there and and the thing that was so powerful about that moment and why i wanted to share it is it's for one sometimes these kids carry these things in their hearts for a long time before they're ready you know to to say something uh, things don't just happen like that all the time we have to be patient but the thing that happened was when she broke down in my own, in my arms something happened in my own heart. Like when Jesus says, you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And you don't just do it to me, you're doing it to my father. There's something really amazing that we encounter about who God is through these kids. And, and I had a Holy Spirit moment that impacted me for so long, I could literally feel it for a year afterwards. You know, like when you go to, uh, are you guys still there or did you freeze up on me? Here we go. We're back. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. We lost you when you said um, that she was crying in your arms, and sometimes it takes a victim a while to be able to talk. Okay, great. So right then, th then um, what happened though is is I had a Holy Spirit encounter at that moment mm -hmm. through this little girl crying in my arms, and because Jesus says, you know, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me, and you. And you haven't just done it to me, you've done it to my father. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is like, we can encounter God through these kids. Mm. In fact, you know, he's near to the brokenhearted. Like this is one of the best places to meet God. And I had an ex, like an afterburn in my heart for over a year, you guys, from that experience. Wow. Like, like when you, you know, you go to church meetings and you feel like something happened, you know, it might last a couple weeks if you're doing really good, you know. But this was over a year. Wow. And and this has happened to me multiple times and really impacted me to say, you know what? There's something amazing here for us mm -hmm. that God wants to give his people. Like there are treasures of encountering God in these kids. So like when when God's moving our hearts about these human trafficking victims, you know, we're often thinking we're the ones, you know, yay. It's like, man, I have been so changed wow. by, by my enemies, by the children. Incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time to share with us. And I'm wow. going to follow back up and see if we can talk them into coming on another time. And, um, 
we just love what you do and i'm mm. we're honored to call you friend likewise likewise johnny and Liz, appreciate you guys so much thanks for having me today look forward to next time all thanks right thanks everybody okay. for joining us and remember those three things do your own research start with marcus's website um get his book go through the love your enemies thing and follow up with um, asking Holy Spirit or whatever's in your own heart, where you can invest and how much to invest in somebody that's good soil, like in fire ministry. So love all of you. Yes. And Blessings. have an awesome rest of your week. Bye-bye.